0: Good evening. You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I am your host, Rob Zachney. With me tonight are my regular panelists, A Flash of Steels, Troy Goodfellow, and our summer intern, Civilization Four designer Soren Johnson. Welcome to the show, guys.
1: Do you realize Soren has now been on more consecutive episodes of this show than I have all year?
0: <laughs> well, that's why we needed an intern, and I'm super glad he designed Civilization Four. That was really impressive. Got, got my foot in the door. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, now you can make
2: me feel bad when I don't come back. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Tonight we welcome Zynga's Brian Reynolds to the show for our long overdue discussion of Alpha Centauri. Brian was the creator, designer, and lead writer of Alpha Centauri, and we're very glad to have him on the show. Brian, thanks for joining us
3: today. Hey, great to be here, guys.
0: There's a lot of things to discuss with Alpha Centauri. I think the first thing I'd like to start with, though, is when the game came out, a lot of people looked at it and said, uh, and still do say, that Alpha Centauri was the civilization in space. I'd like you to talk a bit about the degree to which that's true, and how it differs from the rest of the Civilization series.
3: All right, so um, yeah, Civilization in space. I think you know, back when I was working there, I probably wasn't allowed to say that for legal reasons. Um, <laughs> the the you know a decade. The secret, the secret's uh, out now, huh? Well, you know, a decade <laughs> in hindsight. I mean, it's obviously, everyone knows that we hit all left from Microprose, and started a new company for Axis, and we wanted to do some kind of logical game that seemed like it would be a logical game that our fans would expect from us, and we couldn't call it Civilization. So that was kind of out, and we also weren't very excited about trying to go start a competing line of historical 4X strategy games uh, and... And so that, we didn't get too excited about that. But one of the things we thought is, well, you know, at the end of Civilization, there was that whole Alpha Centauri thing, Uh, and even though we then sequelized Civilization with Civilization 2, which also ended Alpha Centauri, so that's kind of what Civilization does, you know, there is a game out there about Alpha Centauri, there's that idea, we we could do an Alpha Centauri game, Uh, and... So, it wasn't really, you know, it certainly wasn't um, officially supposed to be a sequel to anything, uh, but it was certainly a kind of a cute way to um, make a connection with our past to our fans without directly infringing anyone's intellectual property. Uh, So, I think that that was the idea. It's like, well, there's this topic out there, nobody's made it, and look, the name's available, and... Uh, let's just do it. Uh, so, and I, I think Sid had even one time, you know, as he, after Civilization, after he kind of made his magnum opus, I think he went wandering in the woods for a while figuring out, well, you know, what do I ever do after having written Civilization? Uh, and I think he had doinked around with some prototypes for, hey, maybe I do make a game in, in the future of space. I think he hadn't, then he kind of moved on to other things uh and and not pursued that but uh but we had so we had a, we had a brainstorm about it and decided yeah let's do uh let's let's do a 4x game because we know how to do those <laughs> and but let's put it in space and you know we thought wow how easy will that be uh we'll we'll have it out in in a year you know and then we kind of discovered a whole bunch of things in the making of the game that uh that showed us, wow, you can't just make civilization in space, not really. A, it won't seem enough like space, and B, it won't seem enough like civilization. <laughs> uh, that that you know, there were a whole lot of challenges in doing you know, a 4X game uh, in our you know, in the kind our fans were you know hoping for for us. But doing it in space, an example is, uh, so everybody... In your sort of civilization-y audience, in your in your in the the kind of the kind of folks that play Sid Meier games or, or did you know this is like fourteen years ago, mind you, but uh, when we were starting this this project fifteen years ago, I don't know, nineteen ninety six, we were uh, the the kind of people that that we perceived as our audience. Well, they all turned out to come with a kind of schoolhouse rock at least knowledge of history and. Uh, and then even their, you know, even their friends. Everybody knows stuff about history. They know if they you know, they don't may not think they're a, a history student, but everybody knows what mathematics is, and everybody knows what the wheel is, and what archery is, and and you can impute onto those concepts, uh, gameplay that they will then intuit what you're trying to get at. So, oh, look, the, the one with the wheel moves more spaces. Uh, that makes sense. What a beautiful, elegant game design. Uh, the one with, uh, you know, a catapult moves really slowly and goes thump and really hurts cities. So it was easy to, it turned out it was kind of easy to, to design things onto that. Uh, to add add things onto the historical concept. And I'm sure Soren had this same experience doing Civ IV. You know, you can actually throw out a whole bunch of stuff from earlier games, but then there's still new things to new there's there's this huge area of history you can draw from. And like Civ IV, suddenly there's all these religions being founded and Buddhas doing this and that in some other city, and it's like, oh, that totally makes sense. Wow, that's gonna be interesting or scary. And so you can just draw from this subject matter. And it turns out that not everybody knows what quantum mechanics is. And even if they've kind of heard of it, they probably have no idea um, what it might do if a unit had more of it other than make it better. There's, there's not a um, wheel goes faster, catapult goes boom, easy, um, easy set of stuff to draw on and, and design from. And so what we were finding is, as we were making the game, our, our players and really even ourselves were sort of alienated from it, because we couldn't figure out what on earth was going on. And it was a real challenge all the way through to uh, design a game where where it was in the future in space, and yet anybody had any earthly idea, so to speak, what uh, what was actually happening in the gameplay.
0: No, no. Let me ask you: Is that what necessitated this rich narrative? That Elsa well, that's what has? I was
3: coming to. Yes. So, if you think of the Civilization series as not extra long on narrative, right, and not even extra long on character, you see some. Um, you've got Alexander the Great, Napoleon, and uh, you know Gandhi and Abraham Lincoln, most famously, kind of going at each other with with nuclear weapons. And there's maybe the loosest, loosest correlation of a little piece of the AI personality to some little historical perceived or actual fact about the person. Uh, But it's really just an open-world sandbox game about uh, the the magic of civilization is seeing all your bow-and-arrow men turn into... Uh, musketeers and turn into riflemen and then turn into tanks, because you kind of know those things are coming. You know there's already lots of different narratives of history, and, and there's uh, the thing about Civilization is it gave you a chance to map all sorts of different gameplay, um, not just the game designers, the, uh, the players. You could map all sorts of things for the players to sort of make their own narrative out of the building blocks of a historical game. Uh, whereas it, it, I think we started Alpha Centauri just kind of thinking of it that way. Oh, we'll just make that game in space, and and that'll that'll make sense and instantly work, and then we'll um, vacuum up all the money. Uh, and it turned out that well, wow, we really needed characters and story, just as a one of the way, one of several different ways. To even ground the player in what on earth's going on, because there was actually, and it turned out once we went down that road, we discover well, not only does it help us make, you know, let the player know what's going on and draw them into the gameplay experience, it also creates all these new opportunities for gameplay that we had never had in in a civilization game. Um, I mean, mind you, we'd only done uh, two civilization games at that point, but but there was this whole uh, so it. And we discovered the limits of the civilization-y stuff for doing a space game, a, a science fiction, near-future game, whatever you want to call it. But at the same time, we discovered, wow, in this topic, there are opportunities, not just limitations. And so, for example, if you had tried to make... Uh, I don't know, uh, Gandhi or Alexander the Great or Abraham Lincoln into a character in the game. There's all sorts of limitations on on a historical character as a character in a narrative uh, because of all the... First of all, <clears throat> because of the historical actual facts, and second of all, uh, because of perceptions and... Uh, the politics, even of what you have someone do, and 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 the fact that human be actual real historical human beings are usually full of all sorts of complexity and gray areas, and uh, and so forth. Uh, whereas you can make a you can make a new character in the future in a fictional place and have it be anything you want. You can make them. You can give them exactly the agenda you want and exactly the history you want uh, to make, and make them fit with the other characters in a way that provokes a lot of narrative and provokes a lot of tension in the gameplay and so forth like that. So we found that uh, as we started to create, for example, characters, then the characters could have these backstories and they could be starting to say these things, and have these positions, uh, and they could, and, and, each of them could then have a, uh, you know, kind of a moral position, as, as we got into designing the, um, build your own government, the little society screen, which I actually think is a lot, that turned out to be a lot more interesting than design your own unit, uh, mm-hmm. is, yeah. is design your own government, and make the, and then overlaying that with moral choices, and then overlaying that with the other uh, AIs in the world, the the other characters in the world that you're kind of playing in competition and sometimes cooperation with, they have their own moral agenda that fits with their background, but it not only affects what they choose in the gameplay as a strategy it also affects how they react to your strategy based on the things that you do. So, you know, if you have the really environmental faction and they notice you chopping down all the trees or or whatever the sort of perceived anti-environmental stuff is, then they start liking you less and um, they chew you out whenever you talk to them. And yet if you do it the other way and you get very environmental, then the uh, the capitalist guy kind of gets on your case and he doesn't like you as much. And so we we put these agendas in a way that oh, that maps across a whole bunch of game systems. And so it's not just that we added a story. We just kind of pasted a story on top of a 4X game and that made it work. It's the fact that it all kind of overlaid into a whole bunch of different areas of the gameplay so that there were gameplay decisions that were kind of informed by the story and character backgrounds. Uh, And I think that is actually where some of the most interesting stuff came out of. Um, But it originally all started as a kind of, oh, crap, Uh, this is hard. (laughs) Making uh, Making a... a game in a near future universe is a lot harder than we thought it is. It's not just the same as making a civilization game. It's this whole different thing. It's got new problems and new opportunities. And part of the journey of Alpha Centauri was, was figuring out how to, Uh,
2: it's, it's funny that there's sort of this interesting plausibility to the characters in Alpha Centauri, even though it's a sci-fi world that you can't get in the Civ games. Right. Um, Because Alpha Centauri, there's a timescale of what, maybe a couple hundred years and there's some backstory of gene therapy or something of how these people are are living, you know, living on all this time. But, you know, in sort of the, the, the classic Civ games, I mean, it's, you know, there's always this sort of inherent goofiness of like you have this 6,000 year civilization always being run by this one person. Right. And, you know, Sivsor just takes that for granted, you know, and you kind of have fun with it.
3: Yeah, um, and it's very over the top. Al, uh, Abraham Lincoln says his words are backed by nuclear weapons, and that's very. You know, it, it's very campy, and yet right, it, yeah. And in Civ three, we that. had fun
2: kind of dressing up the leaders in different you know
3: age costumes, depending on what part of the game they're in,
2: right? Um, whereas off Centauri, you really can't imagine that these leaders, you know, actually exist on the planet somewhere, or are, or are actual you know individuals in this in this story that is going
1: forward. Before we get to Kevin to into the mechanics, we have a lot of stuff to talk about the mechanics because the Alpha Story is full of great neat ideas that have changed strategy gaming in so many important ways. I do want to talk a little well, bit about... Tell ins- me which
3: ones those are. <laughs> well,
1: we'll, we'll, we'll get into those. Uh, but I do want to talk about, start again with, with the question of inspiration because I remember uh, interviewing uh, Sid and Soren about civilization and Sid comes out with this great big book of history with stuff highlighted about you know tech that he wanted to research and... Including beer, which, you know, didn't make it into the game, but, you know, he had highlighted it anyway because he's a man after my heart. Um, when you're doing a science fiction game, um, you have all the science fiction texts, you have the different archetypes, of the civilizations which are mechanical archetypes but they work quite well uh, and the progress you have the, the whole g- g- Gaia theory going on and this transcendental thing what science fiction inspired the world you're ah. creating here? What books were your? Yes. did you ask people to read? Have you read that really grounded that helped you ground this world in a plausible yeah. science fiction universe?
3: So the interesting thing is I've always looked at game design as an opportunity to kind of pretend to be something I'm not for a while. We were working on Civ II and colonization. I was I was kind of pretending to be a historian in a way. And I actually I have a degree in history, believe it or not. And so I was sort of making use of that. Uh, and then when <laughs> we turned to um, when we turned to Alpha Centauri the the sort of guidelines for research changed. And it wasn't so much that I was pretending to be a scientist now, which I certainly wasn't. It was more that I was pretending to be a science fiction writer. And you're absolutely right. I read a lot of science fiction, um, particularly in that period. I mean, I'd always read a lot. But I went back and reread some of the the most classic ones that I thought were really going to... The things I thought would be worthwhile influences to uh, a game like this. Uh, And I think I put them... I think we wrote them down in the manual for Alpha Centauri, I think. Yeah, I read, I read Red Mars on the recommendation <laughs> in the back
2: of Alpha Centauri. I remember. Uh-huh.
3: And, and, and you uh, know, that's yeah. a very dense, uh, hard sci-fi book, and I read right, right. that one specifically to just kind of think about the whole, you know, the really hard edge of early colonization kind of stuff. Uh, but, so, the inspiration for the diplomacy was definitely dune um, Frank Herbert's dune the I think the book in which you could find some of the most obvious um, inspiration is actually a different book of his a, a Frank Herbert book called the Jesus incident uh, that and that's always been one of my favorite books of all time and I think if you went and looked there you would you would definitely see some of the uh, you know, where the planet and Mind Worm stuff got inspired from, uh, but, and then, and then some of, the, I was reading a lot of Greg Bear at the, at that point, uh, who has some really interesting uh, books where you kind of get into the, you know, the ethics of living in the future, future ethical challenges, and, uh, and, and i but anyway, I, I think I put the top ten there in in the manual, which I, I couldn't possibly recite right now. But I do remember that they were the to me the sort of um, definitive classics. Now, um, a little a, a funny little note is that when I had to write the, I wrote. Uh, probably even more of the text for the diplomacy during the game than I did for the, the things the characters say. And that was that was really uh, that was a lot of work, uh, partially because we discovered that um, it was a lot more fun if there were a lot more variations of what the people could say. Uh, and I can remember uh, Bing Gordon from EA telling me, you know, I actually kind of like this writing, Brian. Now you need to go take every single one of these and write five more versions of that. And I remember (laughs) thinking, oh, my God. Uh, But I went and did it. I went and actually did that. I think I I did it over a weekend. (laughs) Uh, And, oh, 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 that I was going to say that the inspiration for... When I needed to write good, you know, we're mocking each other text or we're negotiating and um, having our position or, or backing out. I actually found that uh, musical theater is, is so full of great dialogue. And I remember I would put on the, um, the full and unabridged recording of, the, of Les Miserables. Uh,
1: I love you <laughs> I'm a huge Broadway you know, that's, nerd you
3: know if you think of Inspector Javert and all of his little taunts and, and all the little fun turns of phrase and they're trying to of course fit it into the meter and stuff uh, that is what that's the kind of stuff I would put on when I needed to write <laughs> unending sets of you know insults and I guess you've been too busy dancing naked through the trees and all of those, because uh, they each have a, a unique way to mock and be mocked based on their character story, right? Uh, and and boy, was that a lot of text to write. Uh, uh, I mean, there was a lot of there were, there were a lot of variations so, and trying to come up with those. So some of the stuff, some of the inspiration, you know, the the dialogue inspiration didn't um, mostly didn't come out of um, the science fiction directly, except for there's. There's one, I can remember, uh, there's one, because I remember thinking, wow, Dune, it was full of diplomacy, and uh, it's got to have all these great lines, and I can remember reading all the way through, like, just ready for any great lines that that could be uh, worked from, and the single and only one I found was, uh, there's a point where Baron Harkonnen says that, something like, he's a clod, uh, destroying him will be a service to humanity. And uh, I, that one definitely, uh, destroying you will be a service to humanity uh, definitely made it into the game.
1: <laughs> it's impressive you could find one quotable line in all of Herbert.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, quotable lines were hard, except in the epi- epigraphs. Yep, yep. You know, He always had context. the little thing at the first part of um, of each chapter, and it was from specifically that that all of those little, um, what we call blurbs, the all, all of the little things that the people say, voiceovers to the movies, voiceovers to the tech, they were modeled on that. Very cool. Absolutely modeled on that.
0: You know, in, in video game design, I don't think you find any shortage of video game designers who've had a similar reading list. Uh, you know, I, I think a lot of right. designers out there probably know uh, Frank Herbert pretty well. And yet, a lot of them don't create games that who's, whose narrative stands up as well as Alpha Centauri's does. One of the things that really sort Levine of, does. That's very true, but again, Ken Levine is one of those guys who's sort of renowned for narrative, right? Right. Uh, but and,
1: and, large, Levine, and Levine made the same complaint, that video game... Designers, all they know is, is is aliens and Star Wars, so right, right, and right, Lord right. of the Rings. Well, so, so I
3: mean, he and I ran into each other at a you know back in 08 or something, um, and you know had a huge love fest together about about all these sorts of topics. But uh, uh, I don't know why it is that more of them don't uh, make make games based on some of these themes. I mean, I, I suppose one thing might be um, the the ever-present mass market from which, um, yeah, you, you, you're familiar with a thing called the mass mass market uh, from which we get money, right? <laughs> to put it in pulp Believe fiction I've heard speak. Of
0: it. <laughs> but but one of the things I, I wanted to bring out there is w- what sort of sets Alpha Centauri apart is. It's it clearly has these it it clearly has these influences, but it's not merely like the sum of its influences. It has. It has a greater story it's trying to tell, and if you ask me, it, it certainly seems to be arguing a certain perspective. Alpha Centauri seems sort of, seems to sort of look back at Civ without a lot of optimism. It seems Alpha Centauri seems sort of very pessimistic about the future of humanity and how it can proceed. Uh, were you aware of all that while you while you were working on it? Did you did you approach it with sort of a uh, you know, philosophical bent in mind? Well,
3: okay, so I was going to say, you know, I, I had mentioned that working on Civilization, I had a history degree. Um, I actually have a philosophy degree, too. <laughs> and I had I had thought, uh, I, I, you know, when I went into video games, I thought, well, you know, I'll never have any use. You know, I can see the applications of the history degree. I'll never have a use for the philosophy degree. But this turned out to be the big game for using the philosophy degree. Uh, and the goal... Uh, when I once I finally hit on that, because uh, I, I, we certainly wandered around in the woods for a long time without uh, having any story, and and the, the honestly, the the game was just dry as dust, and and just wasn't really uh, very interesting. Would not have been nearly as memorable a game. But but when we started to hit on, oh, there should be characters, and oh, they should have they should have agendas, and where are we going to get agendas? Uh, and somewhere along there, I came up with what I called the clash of philosophies idea. And that, that's something that really is central to a lot of the game systems. Again, the create your government, uh, the agendas of the um, of the characters in, in both their gameplay and in their uh, negotiations, uh, and then all the fodder for all the quotes and things that they, uh, that they make. Uh, the idea was to have a lot of these sort of very strong points of view and then have them clash and and have the uh super environmental guy uh, gal actually uh, uh, being pitted against there's the militarist and there's the science for its own sake guy and there's the. The UN, everybody should be peaceful, and we should all get along. Guy, and the what did I say, the capitalist, the uh, I, you know, I, whatever, you know, the characters. They they all had they all had their own uh, special agendas, and and there were some natural alliances and natural enemies between them. Uh, but they all, uh, the, the idea, the goal was certainly for them to all get their punches in and. And for it to be just kind of interesting, to, for it to be thought provoking, that uh, um, and, I, and I can cert, I, I've gotten letters, uh, you know, over the years about Alpha Centauri and specifically about its writing and and so forth from all sorts of different kinds of people over the years, and uh, it's always interesting when when a lot of them you know certainly come from very different. Uh, you know, outlooks on life or on politics or whatever than than you know than my background, which I guess means uh, in in a good way means okay, I did my job. You know, it really is a clash of you know if if my own uh, predilections are kind of sufficiently hidden in there that uh, um, that everybody can find something they like in the game uh, then that's good and you know I'll look back on it and I'll think oh man you know that character maybe maybe getting strong enough I could have done a better job on that if I'd had the if I'd had the kind of resources that you know we we tend to have these days but you know it was frickin' 1997 and uh, you just didn't have many people to write a game it wasn't like th- these days if you're Making a triple A game, uh, or, or you know, if you're making a uh, a social game, you, you go out and and if you need a good writer, you go get yourself a, a damn good writer who's really good at it. Uh, and and you can do that, and and you can and they even want to come because they heard about <laughs> video games or Facebook games or whatever being a great place to to work and it's fun and you make a lot of money. Back then, nobody. It was really geeky, first of all, to even be in this. Uh, business and you couldn't get anybody of, you know, world-class quality writing, just you couldn't pull them out of the book industry or the movie industry. They wouldn't know what on earth you're talking about. Uh, and and so just the resources we had, to, it, 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 I mean, I would never these days go into something where, boy, I don't know much, I'm not a science fiction writer and I don't know much about it. And I'm not actually a professional writer. I just kind of you know, I, I am able to write some uh and tried to go do a triple A game <laughs> uh just you know, just by kind of uh sacking up and and trying to do it myself with uh a little bit of advice from people on the internet. Uh you know, that, that that's just uh that's just a very different scale of resources uh from from what we're used to now, and 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 what we what players are used to expecting from games, you look at some of these. Uh, uh, you look at uh, like Mass Effect as an example of a pretty darn well written science fiction game, and, and and if you really dig into it, especially Mass Effect two, there's just all kinds of writing hidden hidden in there, and it's just like they write and write and write, and they're really good writers. And I don't even have time to read all the stuff they write. And then you get into the different scenes being interact act, and they go all these variations, and, and I can't even imagine trying to come up with the the amount of stuff and the quality of stuff that they that they do these days. So we were, you know, we were still rubbing sticks together to start a fire in those days.
0: And yet, there there does seem to be a there does seem to be a, a coherent story with uh, I think with I think a moral. I mean, Soren Troy, do do you feel that there's there's a right answer to progress that Alpha Centauri is sort of steering you towards.
1: Well, of course. I mean, this is a game that is. I mean, it's this is you know written in the what is the mid late 90s. You have the whole guy theory coming along that Will Wright did in Sim Earth uh, to some extent. So it's already in the gaming atmosphere. The idea that the planet is a living thing. Uh, I think Alpha Centauri takes it to the very next level. What if it's a living thing that actually fights back? Um, what are the penalties? Do you work against it? Um, do you work with it? Um, how far can you go? How far can you expand? And you have... But doesn't mean that the, the Gaians are necessarily the, the good guys um, or that you have to play the Gaians as the good guys uh, because they can take the mind worms and they use them as weapons against uh, the other factions. And of course, it doesn't make Morgan the bad guy because you can try to... Because Morgan doesn't create overpopulated cities at least because he is Paris Hilton citizens won't stand for that since it's population cap. Uh, but I, I think this is—it's it's clearly a game that has, if not a clear moral and a right and wrong answer, it is an ethical question. It is a, like all many great stories do. I think it has a real meaning, and it, the meaning is so deeply embedded in the mechanics, and that's kind of the beauty of it. Soren?
2: Yeah, I mean, El Centauri, to me was almost most interesting, and just kind of where it pointed the Civ series towards. Um, I mean, I remember when I first, I first picked it up, and you know, I saw you know, wow, was, you know, Sid Meier's Alpha Centauri, and this, you know, this looks pretty interesting, and uh, hmm, uh, Brian Reynolds design. Well, I'm not sure who this Joker is, but you know, whatever, I guess I'll I'll go for it. Um, and uh, um, you know, I got the game, you know, installed it, uh, you know, started started playing along, and it was kind of this this interesting uh, transition because. Initially, I was actually very disappointed because I was, you know, I thought, okay, you know, this is going to be something that's just radically different. But instead, it was like, whoa, this almost feels like, this almost feels like a Civ mod, essentially, right? <laughs> like, you know, they aren't barbarians, they're, mar- they're mind worms, they aren't Goody Huts, you know, they're, they're colony pods, you know, it's nutrients, minerals, and energy instead of, you know. Food shields and trade. Uh, there's secret projects for wonders. There's probe teams for spies. There's still attack, defense, move. It seems like you know almost everything, that translated from one space to the other. Um, and so, you know, in a sense, I was like, well, what's you know what's new here? What's you know what is what is this all about? Like, why why have they taken all these mechanics and put it somewhere else? Um, but you know, the more I played, you know, the more I saw that you know it was really a, a revolution in what um uh, what a, a civ type game could mean you know where it's not so fundamentally tied to just kind of like these few key simple mechanics where you had kind of some of these really interesting concepts especially the social engineering and the diplomacy you know which, which we've talked about a little bit you know but i think those were both just huge advancements and they both pop up in civ 4 of course you know that was um you know the uh, social engineering became the civic system um and the, um, I guess actually, what you'd say is the diplomacy of, of Alpha Centauri actually became the religion of Civ IV. Um and uh, you know that really, you know, let me see Civ at, at a higher a higher level, and that was what was most important to me. Um, it was really interesting that there was the storyline, and there were these cool world, you know, world level events. Um, you know that 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 stuff was, was
3: really impressive as well. Well, you've named all the things that I'm actually proud of about Alpha Centauri, so (laughs) that's that's probably... I mean, those those were certainly the areas I felt like, wow, those those were the things we did really well. Right. Well, I mean, to me, it's that that,
2: um, a game like Civ... Alpha Centauri said that a game like Civ could have a narrative. Um, It didn't necessarily need kind of like... you know, Alpha Centauri is these kind of pages of text that pop up from time to time. Um, And I think it's very... Uh, it works very well inside that format. But Civ didn't necessarily need something like that, but it needed kind of these little building blocks that made you feel like the way you're playing this game out, you know, could be described as a story. Um, And, I mean, Civ has always had that a little bit, but it really helps that, like, for example, in Civ 4 where I went with the diplomacy... When I say the religion of Sif4 is like the diplomacy of Al Centauri, what I mean is there's actually a context now for why leaders like or don't like each other, right? Yep. I mean, that that's the important part. Uh, that, that's the reason why religion is there. It's not just... I mean, it's kind of like an interesting, you know, gameplay thing. You know, there's some stuff to fiddle around with of like using your missionaries and spread it from city to city and, you know, which religious civic are you going to choose? But most importantly, it gives a reason why, you know, the French and the English might not get along, right? Like in in a classic game of Civ, you know, you just have seven Civs spread around the world. And why would one Civ like another, you know, why would one Civ hate one guy and like another one as opposed to just them all hating each other? You know, you don't want this kind of, kind of a um, sterile board game situation. I mean, when you play, say, Risk with your friends, like, you know, you don't need another reason to hate them inside the game. You hate them because you're playing a game and, you know, they're your friends and you want to beat them. That's all you really need, right? But it's not necessarily that much fun to play uh, a game of Civ with that with that backdrop. You know, you want to have the sense that there is these factions that form up, you know, in this natural and interesting way and that it can be controlled a little bit, but not entirely, Um, you know, and that's, that's kind of the role that religion played. And it was the role that, you know, the social policies played in Alpha Centauri of, you know, you had these kind of like natural opposites, you know, the Morgans versus the Gaians, for example. Um, and so, you know, if you were one of the other civs, you knew that if you're going to be, you couldn't be friends with both, right? You had to make your choice. Um, and you know, that's, that's, that was to me really just a, a, a revelation to see that.
0: Well, and one of my favorite things about the way the uh, you know the way you set your set the civics and politics <laughs> for your society is that it can drive wedges between formerly steadfast friends. Where you know yeah. one of the one of the you know it's always painful when you're sort of trying to create like an alliance block in Alpha Centauri, and you decide you know you have to you have to become a police state. Suddenly everyone's turning on each other and sending you messages, you know, you know, you're really you're really misguided. You're really you're really lost here. You should why don't you take this why don't you take this civic instead? And then suddenly, you know, your 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 friends you know, friendly requests get more and more uh, you know, backed by steel. Well you know, you've definitely
3: you've you've definitely put your finger on the the that's the core, the crux of where all the coolness of Alpha Centauri overlaps. It's where the story uh, overlaps the gameplay and overlaps the characters uh, in a way that's exciting, and it's both the part I most enjoy playing when I'm playing Alpha Centauri, and it was certainly the part I enjoyed creating the most.
0: Yeah, I think one of one of the things I really appreciate too is that they're. Go, going along with the the narrative aspects of the game, or the, the way each game itself becomes its own story, you know, it's almost like it's almost like you're part of a theater troupe in Alpha Centauri, where you've got stock characters, but they keep coming out and playing different dramas, and and you're sort of choosing the script. Uh, and one of the things, and perhaps this goes back to how you know how you crafted the uh, dialogue options, <coughs> but they're very much in Alpha Centauri. It often feels very reasonable to me uh, in in the turns relations take that's so often a problem with diplomacy in in the in the forex genre is that someone will just completely do a 180 on you and there's no clear explanation why in alpha centauri there seems to be much more of a gradual uh you know toxifying of relations and usually you have a sense for where things went wrong
3: yeah, and, and yes, and often it's something that you actually did that was your fault, as it were. That you can you can see as how they might have taken offense at your cutting down all the trees or something, uh, and and that yeah, that really worked out well because it it gave that the whole that whole your social choices impacting on their moral agendas. Um, it gave a second dimension to the diplomacy. Uh, other than just, I'm more powerful than you, and so please, you know, give me tribute or I kill you. Uh, or you're running away with the game, so now we're all ganging up on you, and that's just that. Uh, there were still, that that whole uh, axis of diplomacy was still very much in the AI, it's just that the, the other stuff, the moral choices part, uh, gave it... It gave it a second axis, which made the whole thing um, seem much more multi-dimensional.
2: You know, the Civ games always have this weird sort of stab in the back problem where, um, you know, when you're playing with with real humans, it's just sort of taken for granted that at some point they may be, you know, essentially lying to you about their feelings, and they might stab you in the back, and actually that's that's kind of good gameplay, right? Um, But when you're playing a single-player game against AI – uh, I think everyone's sort of intellectually aware that the AI should be capable of stabbing them in the back. But pretty much any time you actually do that, it's just a negative gameplay experience. And it's just, like, it's just not fun.
1: I right. mean, it's, it's hard I mean, for strategy games to do this. I think the best way they can do this is to make sure that you can always, at least in your head, create a logical explanation for why the AI did what it did. And it should not come out of nowhere. I think that's what makes Alpha Centauri great and so important is that it is probably the first strategy game that really argued that nations are more than the sum of their armies, uh, that nations had ideologies and that these were important to them and they had ideas of what justice was and this was important to them. And we had to go, to, we had to go into space, apparently, to figure this out in, in strategy well, I, games. I,
2: I think that the, um, the diplomacy system... Was also just a good example of a, a match between the theme and, and the mechanics for yeah. Alpha Centauri, because actually, yeah. I, mean, I know what you're getting at, but we actually tried in Civ IV originally. I, I went for a more direct copy of the diplomacy system, where you know the um, and there's still a little bit of this in Civ IV, but basically that the leaders would have really a favored Civic, and maybe a Civic that they hated, and, like, so which Civics you chose really hard, you know, made had a great effect upon your uh, the diplomacy system. So it was really very, very similar to Elf Centauri. But somehow, putting this in this, like, 6,000-year time span, you know, even though, like, both games are essentially the same, they're both, yeah. like, 400-turn games. I am games. totally
3: unsurprised that, that that didn't work out for you because I can remember, uh, uh, you know, I was on the other... I mean, we talked about at the beginning, we talked about how... My sort of culture shot going from working on Civ two to working in Alpha Centauri. Well, at the end of Alpha Centauri, you know, ironically, uh, the Civ IP had changed hands about right. three times by then, and suddenly we were we were re signed by I guess at the time it was called Hasbro to do Civ three, and I had a similar culture shot. So I were, I was the lead designer for like the first eight or nine months of Civ three. And it was a strange culture shock going back the other way, realizing wow, there were all these things we could do in Alpha Centauri that we totally can't do in a historical game. Like right. what would we can't? Yeah. You can't pin a motive uh, in a way, a, a story and a motive and a character uh, in a way that makes sense on a six thousand year old Napoleon.
1: Right. <laughs> it yeah, just it just doesn't...
3: it just got monotonous.
2: You know, if you yes. said like, okay, fine, Louis the Fourteenth. He really loves Divine Right. If you if you don't believe in Divine Right, he's going to hate you. And then, like, but you play the game and just, like, over this period of time, you're just like, would you just shut up about Divine Right, you know? Right. Like, and it's not like you know, could
3: go change Divine Right if you if you took that right in a... I mean, unless you... I guess if it's on your government r- slider, you can change it. But but if it's a tech, you can't untake the tech.
1: It was a civic, so you could choose... Well, it was a civic, right? Well, I mean, you, 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 could, you could, would yeah, yeah, research was... Divine Right. Divine Right was a technology. And uh, Louis preferred one of the absolute things. Oh, uh, if I forgot, I got the, the name absolutism. wrong. Well, there was some sort yeah, of civic, absolutism pretty much I think it was. Right, right. But so, you know, whatever, basically,
2: yeah.
3: you know, you got to choose the civic or not.
2: And it just it just it just felt wrong. You know, it was just one of those things.
3: Yeah, and that, that's an example of coming the other way. That's the things not possible in the historical game that are possible in the uh right, in right. the science fiction game. You know,
2: since we're on this topic, maybe we should talk about the unit unit workshop a little bit because this got yeah. Uh, this got turned essentially into the promotion system in Civ IV. You know, That was a way to customize your units right. um, sort of permanently. And it was also I, it done that way because I wasn't necessarily really happy with uh, how the unit workshop, workshop worked out in Alpha Centauri. Yeah, basically, I know like, I hated it, yeah, personally. I mean, it, was, <laughs> it, was it
1: was
2: one, one of the screens screen that every, every time it showed up, up, I was like, oh, this is very intellectually, intellectually interesting, but I basically, basically wanted to hit close, close. immediately.
3: Right. Oh, I didn't even think it was intellectually interesting. It was something that we had... It was like one of the very first ideas. Like, you know, that was probably in week 1 somebody said, "Let's do a thing where you make your own units." Right, and it just kind of stuck. It was never really very fun.
2: There and was probably a, some
3: other X- way to do it that would have been a lot cool. I and mean, there was certainly something that would have been cooler, but right. it kept just staying in there and and of course it got encouraged to not get cut when total annihilation came out and they would be like shipping a new unit a week and People were excited about like having lots of units, and they wanted to be able to say well, you can make a hundred different kinds of units, uh, right. and it, it just was never. I mean, that that is certainly not one of the mechanics I was in any way proud of. Uh, so a- apart from the um, design your own government and religion part and the characters, uh, I, I was I was really going to point point to. The, I think there's one other mechanic. Um, that's that's actually not very related to those. That is a major mechanic that that Alpha Centauri you know, we created, and then it was adopted not only by future Civ games, but by um, games in the RTS genre and other places as well. As well, and that's national borders, uh, because right. as far as I know, uh, Alpha Centauri was the very first game where uh, it certainly wasn't the first game where there were countries with borders, of course, but it's the first one where they could change, and it meant something, and and it was really important. And it was a it was a pretty cool, pretty radical thing at the time. It was it was something where I'm sure somebody had suggested it to me about five or six times, and i had said, "Oh, that's impossible." Uh, and then one day, I finally just decided, oh, "I'm just going to try it. I'm just going to go do it." Uh, and it turned out to be uh, a real revolution, not just in not just because players instantly understood it and and loved it, but because it made a whole bunch of things that had been really difficult to do before possible. I mean, it, it made the AI immediately seem smarter, even on the baseline of, "Hey, your units are in my territory, right. get the fuck out," uh, but. Also, there were little subtle things like now you could run a little traverse tree across a continent and say, Oh, look, I'm neighbors with this guy on this continent, so he's so that's my enemy. And but then on the other side, there's another guy that's his neighbor, and so the enemy of my enemy is my friend, so I should reach out to that guy and say, Let's gang up on the the industrialists, you know, let's let's gang up on Morgan, because he's in between us on this continent, and that makes sense to put effort into that, and it made the AI seem really smart, both in, uh, you know, both in it played the game better, that's one kind of smart, but another kind of smart is it just felt more like it was making logical decisions for its character at the time, uh, and it just led to so many different things, and of course it got picked up by Civ 3 and Civ 4, um, but we put it in Rise of Nations too, and then from there it's kind of even in the RTS world. I every now and then I see, oh look, it's a game with national borders again, uh, and I'm always glad to see that. <laughs>
2: yeah, it's uh, true. true. Border, borders, borders, are such a big deal that like I almost forgot that like this is where it, where it came from right, because right. like having worked on a couple of Civ games, it's it's almost impossible for you to imagine designing it without having borders because it's it's so useful for so many things yes. i mean you know i mean definitely ai uh it's hard to remember when it was like where you could just you could just have units wander willy-nilly around
3: the map you know right. without oh doing- i can oh, see i, I remember. remember it really well because uh that was you know this the world i was coming from at the time no one had ever done national borders and so civ 2 didn't have national borders and uh, and yet, it
1: had city radii, which were a pain it, it, well, in the that ass. That was our <laughs>
3: attempt to – funny, I think back on that and I think, wow, you know, how come we couldn't just have thought of national borders? and?
2: Yeah, it's such uh, a simple concept.
3: It, it, it is, yes. Uh, and, and of course it was invented. We put the radii in because people absolutely hated the thing in Civ One, where the phalanx would walk up next to a right. city – and it would talk to you, and then it would fortify right next to your city, and it would just sit there <laughs> until the end of time, uh, and have a peace treaty with you. But you couldn't use the square, and it was—it was—I mean, it was kind of just comically silly in a way. Uh, but it drove—it also drove players crazy. So we tried coming up with, well, at least you can kick them out of your city radius, uh, and and it sort of made sense. And sure, sure. and Civ Two was was pretty fun, uh, but. But boy, the the change in just the visceral feel of having those visual borders, and the glory of seeing them move outward, uh, and and later when we got into Rise of Nations, and it was um, borders that moved in real time while you were fighting, uh, I, I can I could remember you know hearing loud cheering on the other end of the line <laughs> during multiplayer games uh, of Rise of Nations, and. There was a whole thing called the border pushing strategy uh, where you'd try to put your giant pushy buildings up on the front line and then take all the techs that made them push even harder. And then you'd build another one even forward and you'd kind of try to um, take over all the territory by, uh, by pushing your borders out. All these different uh, yeah. things Board- never were Board- possible before that.
2: Yeah, borders didn't just solve a whole bunch of problems, but they also provided this you know, they did they didn't just solve all these these weird issues. Like I think it, it you know, having borders let us finally kind of ditch the whole zone of control rules in the system. Yes, series. oh my god, zone you know, of control, because, what a Like terrible yeah, that, Essentially idea. I think the reason they were there was a way to keep the AI from getting in your territory, which yes, is like the yes, most backwards exactly way to right do idea. it. Um, but it also gave us this great access for new gameplay right because that's we just you know, because it was just the perfect match for culture it's kind of interesting to remember the civ 4 period where we had the uh, sorry the civ 3 period where we were designing it we had this culture idea we had this border idea but like they were they weren't they were divorced one didn't have to do with the other and like some one day we suddenly just realized like these two were just just built for each other and like it just fit perfectly
0: well and i think you know i've no trouble remembering the sort of screwed up uh empires you'd get in civ and civ 2 that you know it was really infuriating it was it was one of those things that sort of broke the illusion you knew the ai was just you know randomly putting down cities everywhere uh when one of them was sort of Sneak through a gap in your zone of control and plunk a city down in yeah. the heart of your open city, <laughs> yes. and then you just had it
3: there, and it was it was really frustrating. And it whereas, just felt wrong. It, it didn't yeah. feel like it was in the fiction. It didn't feel like it should be allowed under the rules. And
0: right, whereas Alva Centauri features these great like land grabs, right, where you see like a strategic isthmus, and it's just this you know race between I'm um, my colonist is going to get there first, my colonist is going to get there first. Oh, you son of a bitch! Right, and then you know then you're you know suddenly you've got uh, you're obsessed with you know, just capturing this one city from your opponent just to make sure that your empire is secure forever and ever, uh, and you cre- you create this whole story where it's like now you have a foreign policy agenda, uh, which you know was it was kind of rare in previous games.
3: Yes, yes, it, it's uh, uh, it, it's sort of uh, uh, Morgan Interest Industries irredentia. You've got to get your you 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 know that piece of that isthmus belongs to you, and and it's unredeemed. Uh, unredeemed land that you've gotta
0: but I I wanted to go back to the unit workshop for a moment because it's interesting because you you say you don't like that feature at all really but I know a lot of strategy games have actually sort of taken it and run with it Uh,
3: and and well then they probably did a better job or they they, (laughs) they must have made it fun somehow
1: And we have a Mass of Orion 2 was that before Alpha Centauri?
3: I think that was before I and that that
1: used it quite well yeah, I mean, you know, the
2: the unit workshop is kind of an interesting thing. I like I like to bring it up a few times when I'm talking to people about game development because I think it's 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 an interesting example of kind of the trade offs that happen. Um, and so you had this feature, which you know, even even Bryant isn't necessarily uh, just directly isn't very happy with. Um, you know, although there are there are quite a few gamers who bring it up as one of the big positives of Alcantara, but it had this huge negative, which is the unit art, um, because you had to have this really modular system. They couldn't. They couldn't um, commit themselves to having really these really highly customized detail art for each type of unit. Instead, you know, the yeah, units I'm, all kind I, of ended so up looking it, the same.
3: If I went back and did it again, see, I would. I would not have it be customizable. I mean, now, now here's a game that came out um, during the development of Alpha Centauri. I would have done it like Starcraft and made them. All every faction have these much right. more interestingly different units that had something to do with their storyline, for yep. example. And yep. then they would feel even more different. And that's certainly uh, where, in my career after that, I went in strategy games is is making the uh, you know each nation in or you know, we were kind of starting to work on it on Civ three while I was there, but then on on Rise of Nations we. Worked really hard on it to make each each nation feel as different as possible from from every other one, so that then it's a different experience when you're either playing it or you're um, playing against it. You yeah, mean?
2: stuff that's both mechanically and visually distinct. I mean, it's it's just that's a really strong pair. Yeah. Pairing, so, right? so
3: to me, the unit workshop is an example of something that sounded like a good feature on paper right. and actually. Um, didn't do much to make the game more fun and did a lot to make it, you know, maybe less fun. You know, it, the, the sacrifices that we made to do it uh, right. in both resources and just what the game was capable of, uh, you know, th- I, I could imagine that that could be a lot better. But you do sometimes have to live with your decisions. You know, you get stuck with decisions you make early and some of them you can't, You can't fix. Now we fixed a lot of things that were bad decisions early, like not to have a story, (laughs) but, but some of them, you know, get wedged in there and then you've invested so much or you just don't have enough time left to throw a year and a half of unit development away and come up with something else. Uh, And, and so that's an example of, that's an example of that for me. Yeah, I mean, uh, even, even something that is a very small positive can have, you
2: know, some heavy negatives that aren't necessarily right. obvious, you know, when you look at a
3: game. The opportunity cost, it's like yeah. opportunity cost. It's, you know, maybe it wasn't a negative feature in its own right, it's not like it necessarily drove a lot of players away from the game, um, although maybe it drove some, but it's what we could have done if we had done a better feature <laughs> with you know, those resources.
0: I kind of want to defend it just just on this one point, though. One thing I enjoy, most of my objections to the unit workshop are actually basically just the interface there. I think it's one of those things where it constantly keeps trying to force default unit builds down your throat and it's it's really a constant annoyance making sure that the menu of units only shows what you want it to show rather than what the game thinks it should show yeah, right. that's you know that's a perpetual frustration but the one thing i enjoy about the workshop is you sort of play this uh, you know pentagon acquisitions mini game right where it's what does my Point next it. weapon system need to accomplish and what are the trade offs for doing that and so if you know if things are going well you can you can build yourself the m1 abrams tank you know imp- you know thick armor huge gun impervious yeah, but it's going you know it's going to bankrupt you. You're going to be able to field a handful of them. And you really sort of have to play this game of, well, what am I, who am I going up against? And what sort of force am I going to need to win the war?
3: Yeah, I guess we did charge you a premium to design the unit in the first place. And then you could, uh, then you could start churning them out. So uh, obviously that the idea was to, to make you design several paradigms of units and then have them work together. But If I was trying to make that system better, I would try to make it push you more toward um, having a lot of very different units from each other. I would probably make it even harder to have, even more bankrupting to have everything be perfect and, and really cheap to have ones that... Uh, highly specialized in one area and and uh, sucked. In other words, I would try to push you even harder toward building rock paper and scissors rather than than building a rock paper scissors unit.
2: I think it, I think it leads to a larger question though, of like what is your game about, right? And I, th- I think a game that has a really heavy unit customization issue needs to be about the combat. And and also, self is not a game that's about combat.
0: There was there was one other thing is I was playing it uh, you know a few weeks ago for a column for PC Gamer we did a reinstall on Alpha Centauri, uh, I had completely forgotten just how I beg your pardon but batshit insane this game is in some ways, uh, and what I what I what I completely spaced on. Is the ways in which you could alter the terrain and mm. the rainfall mm-hmm. patterns and the climate of planet? Yeah, that sounds like, pretty crazy. I had I had completely spaced on that, and I was just absolutely stunned when, you know, suddenly, you know, I was I wanted to level off a mountain to I think you know build a borehole or something. And uh, the game was like, well, you can you can do that, but you know, here are the consequences for changing topography, and it became this, you know, became my new obsession. It was like, oh my God, I'm going to remake the weather of planet right now, <laughs> and uh, I set my formers out everywhere. But I'm th- I'm trying to think of any strategy games that have really, you know, followed on that, you know, to that degree, and. Uh, Really, most games cut features like that. And it's it's Um, amazing to me that Alpha Centauri is just like, yeah, why the hell not have a climate system? The
3: the funny thing is that was kind of an early system, first of all. That, That was one of the... I think that climate system existed long before there was ever, for example, a story or characters in the game. And... It was one. It was something that it kind of got in there because we thought maybe it would be really cool and important, and it would be all about. You remember the first populace where you would kind of raise and lower terrain and drown your enemies under the <laughs> ocean and stuff. And we thought, well, maybe this would be part of the game. Uh, and it kind of went by the wayside, but it stayed in there organically as a, this background system. So something that was really, you know, it was, it was literally a failure as a primary system, when allowed to just kind of languish quietly into the background rather than just being cut, it ended up being a really rich background system. You know, it's, it's like this cute little detail that the ocean can rise, and it actually rises, and you can see the, out, the things at the low altitude going underwater and, and terrible things like that. Uh, and in, in its way fits with the sort of far future uh, premise of the game in which it, it probably wouldn't fit very well in a game like civilization. And so yes. yeah, it, it was just a that was a, a vestige system. It was a leftover thing that we had, um, we had put a lot of effort into it and come up short. Um, but rather than just cut it entirely and throw it all away, we just kinda of let it sublimate into the background and and it added a nice little it, it was it turned out to be a nice little side touch.
1: Which That's... I never used.
3: Maybe I I never actually, actually used it. didn't have to even know it was there. Yeah,
2: I think a lot of people didn't touch it. It's kind of this funny little system. I mean, I, I have, like, warm feelings about it, too. I kind of I kind of liked it. But it, it always made me wish that I was able to play the game without anything else but just, like, the terraforming system. Right, it makes because... you want to play Populous, basically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because the, the, the time, the, the, it just takes too long between when you're trying to do something. You know, it makes it become a, sort of a slog. Um, but, like, the core mechanics are sound. They're just tied to something that's going at the wrong the, they're scale. They're tied the to the page. geologic the
3: time wrong. scale in a way that the rest of the game cannot be.
2: Yeah, and I and I was always kind of very opposed to putting that type of stuff into a Civ-type game, which is funny, even though like the time scale is longer. But I was always afraid that basically people would kind of find some sort of perfect arrangement, and that's, they would just essentially be stamping that down all across the world. Um, but, but I, th- I think the system fit in Alpha Centauri. It was, it was a nice little thing, but it is, it is kind of that one of those, these funny like kind of side features that, that games don't often really have much anymore as they kind of aim to be more streamlined and focused.
3: One, one thing that we, uh, we... At the time that that feature was kind of not working out so well, one of the things that followed on from it, though, was the idea of the really big kind of prefab features like the giant crater hole or the, the special funny forest, or I can't remember what, but there were these very large land features that were the uh, God what was the name of the captain of the ship Garland's crater or whatever. It's like, Oh, I guess that's where his pod crashed. And there's this huge crater there. Uh, you know, that, that happened to me. I, I so I just played uh Al Centauri,
2: Week ago, just to get ready for this, and I was just flat out floored at, because I was playing the game and I was doing well. I mean, I was probably playing it too low a difficulty level because I just, you know, I wanted to make it all the way through the game, and um, suddenly. This crater landed and wiped out my two largest cities. Oh, just a planet c- buster! Just, well, no, no, not the. Uh, <laughs> There's well, one
3: area where we kept the uh, the terraforming game.
2: Right, right. Well, this wasn't. I mean, do you mean a weapon? Because it wasn't a weapon. It was a random event. Oh, was it? Oh, I didn't even. I don't even remember that. That's funny. yeah, yeah. Like the the Garland crater oh, happened yeah. during during the game, and oh. I literally lost my capital city and my second biggest city, and I was just. I was just shocked because wow, it was that's the type weird. Of, I,
3: I don't remember that being even possible like that. That there I, were that level of random events. Well, I am not know I mean, I would, died, I would have so. never, no, I would never dare to have an event
2: that that catastrophic during during a game. And like, fortunately, I was so far ahead that like it wasn't necessarily that big of a deal. But it, it may just, have
3: been something that we only did to you because um, I was so far ahead. way ahead. Wait, now, see, I've never been one of these people that says the computer should never cheat. Uh, right. What my motto is is the computer should never get caught cheating, <laughs> which is a, <laughs> a a which is a subtly different motto in uh, in how you execute it. So sure. there was probably you know the quote unquote random event was probably a little bit less random than yeah. Than I'm, I'm
2: sure I'm sure it definitely had to do with my place, but it was interesting because um, I did the traditional load save thing. Uh-huh. Where I went back, you know, like, okay. like, like, I just, I just don't accept this. This is, this is just crazy. I'm gonna go back five turns. Went back five, five turns. It happened again. I'm like, okay, forget it. I'm gonna go back ten turns. Went back ten <laughs> turns. <laughs> <and> it happened <laughs> again. And I was like shaking my fist at Brian. You know, it was. Uh, <laughs> it was very strange. You know, I kind of, eventually, I just rolled with it. I'm like, okay, I guess I'll just, I'll just rebuild. But I, I could tell shocking. you a
3: funny story about something very closely related to that. Uh, when we were doing colonization, so this is the. First Civ-like game after Civ One, and you know we knew about this whole save/load thing, and um, you know being the uh, brilliant game designers we were, we decided, hey, here's what we'll do: we'll save the random number seed in your game file, right, right. so that when you load it back in and you do the combat again, you'll get this very same result, and and, you know, we cackled to each other cleverly about how clever that was and how it was going to, like, make it a lot harder to cheat. And the problem was we started getting, like, first these things, like we would get these you know, blocker bug from playtesters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I know what this I, is. I did yeah. this battle 1,500 <laughs> times. You can imagine some really dedicated 22-year-old playtester just sitting there like, okay, I found, I'm found. I on the trail of those <laughs> bug, and I'm going to prove it mathematically, empirically prove that this is broken by by actually sitting here and saving here and reloading. Like, I did this combat over and over and over again, and it never, I never won. And it turned out that those were, we released a game and that we got letters about that. Like, so now imagine some crazy actual player Literally playing the game, loading it fifteen hundred times to just to show us that we were wrong and and, and sending yeah. us the save file and an attachment, or. Yeah, we made, we made
2: the complete same mistake in
3: Oh, Oh, see, I could have told you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I could have
2: saved you. Could you <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we included it in, and it's it's a really an interesting lesson in how the player's mental model is just inherently different from your own, knowing yes. how the code works. Like, you just, you literally can't see it the way they can, you know, right, and it's right. like, well, of course it's the same result, it's the same code, but, like, you know, they, they just imagine this little magic stuff happening inside the computer, and, you know, something must be broken, so... <laughs>
3: Yeah, well, it definitely taught me never to. Uh, well, so so by the way, Soren, see, I went from that mm-hmm. to in colonization to putting cheat on the main menu oh, in Civ yeah. two. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, it just it just, I did, that was where I realized, you know, let's just let the player play the game the way the player wants. You know, let <sighs> yeah. the players have the fun thing. You know, which is was theoretically one of the mottos we were supposed to have learned from Civ right. uh, from Sid, not Civ. Uh, and and it turned out actually that was a huge win because it was from that that the completely, at the time, unexpected concept of player mod scenarios came from. It was just because we shipped cheat mode that people were able to even make all those scenarios, which turned out to, I suspect, have been about uh, 40% of the sales and longevity of the Civ franchise uh, at that point was was from the popularity of modding.
2: Yeah, I mean, I totally, I totally understand that. And, like, it's... That, that, that sort of, that feature in Civ three, it was part of my process of getting over, like a lot of designers start and they always feel like they're in an adversarial role with the player.
3: Right. And it's important yes. to get yep.
2: past that mindset as soon as possible.
3: Well, and the funny thing is, you know, Sid used to used to mock me for being the guy that put cheat on the main menu. You know, that would come up in any, any place he could throw that into some conversation <laughs> and, and beat me in some argument, you know. Uh, he would always throw that in. I was like, dude, I'm letting the player have the fun. You know, that's, that's what you teach. You teach us to let the player <laughs> have the fun.
0: <laughs> Troy, is there anything that uh, we haven't hit yet that you are uh, dying to get into?
1: No, nothing I'm dying to get into. What's left on your agenda?
0: Well, we've touched on faction design a little bit. We haven't gotten into specific ideologies. I don't know. Like, we talk about the science fiction, we talk about the faction design, or we could uh, do a, a little discussion of Foraxis in that era and uh, where things have gone since then.
3: Well, I have no—I don't know much about where Fraxis went since then, so. All right. <laughs> Not sure if that's going to be a particularly fruitful topic.
2: I mean, certainly, like during my my seven years of Fraxis, I mean, it, it, multiple times a year, you know, we Which would is, get. Which is, by the questions. way,
3: twice the number of years I had Frax.
2: Yeah, it's funny. I realized that, that just the other day. I was like, "Wow, is it Fraxis older than Brian? That's a little weird." <laughs> but um, so, yeah, I mean, multiple times a year, we would get asked about Smack too. And, you know, I mean, we had a very, there's a very pat answer, which is it's not in our hands. It's in EA's hands, right? Uh, they were the ones who owned the, the IP for it. These legal issues are always very complicated. But either way, it wasn't, we didn't have like.
3: Yeah, I, I think it was something like both EA and Firaxis would have to be willing. You know, you'd have to get both EA and Firaxis to agree to do a, so it's not, EA couldn't go do it. Nor could Pharaxis just go right, do right. it without EA, right. and,
2: which which now makes it just astronomically unlikely. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, I can't uh, yes, even, you, you just can like imagine. imagine,
3: and Qua- that t- you know unquadrupled in you know in IP difficult. It's like uh, you know multiplying one one hundredth by one one hundredth, and what comes out is not you know. It, it, what comes out is not even one one thousandth. It's one ten thousandth. You know, right. it's kind of got yep. that that double square thing going.
2: That's without even saying the fact that none of the original designers or creators would be involved as well. So, well, and that's like, the
3: other thing. You know, that which probably adds another one one hundredth to it because I feel like it really would take a very special desire to make to do um, Alpha Centauri Justice uh, in a way that it's that would make the sequel worth making. That that would make the uh, you know the fans of Alpha Centauri. That would be the ones you were trying to get into it uh, to make them all want to come back. Uh, and and uh, that that person has never been around, right? I mean, well, I get you know, there's me, but I've been at a whole third company, uh, which you know just makes it easy. so. If if Brian's at one company and then EA's another company, and Firaxis is another company, and we have all our kind of complex history and business relationships between us, it just makes it really hard, you know, for better or for worse, for that IP ever to get, uh, you know, a proper, you know, good, thorough revisiting. Right. There's, uh, there's, 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 and I there's, certainly can imagine, I can imagine, uh, you know, if I had the IP, uh, just if I personally sat there and owned it all, then, oh, I can, I can totally imagine going and doing something with it, maybe. Uh, but... But even a game that I would want to do might not be the game all the fans would want. Like I could imagine going doing an amazing shooter RPG game in the <laughs> uh, Alpha Centauri universe, like kind of you know it's, it's Mass Effect, but but you know with these other things and some strategy elements, and uh, I could imagine going really deep, and you know I could I could waste you know, 50 or or $100 million of somebody's money making that game. Well, and with, a great time a, with a pitch like it's... that, I'm amazed you haven't. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, it turns out I don't... I, first, I, a, I don't have the IP, and B, I don't have 50 or or $100 million. Right.
0: Um, well,
2: there, there's another the issue here, which is that... Um, so, I mean, there, there was definitely a time at Fraxis where I was aware that if I really wanted to, I could probably push for a smack, too. Because for half of that period, we had an ongoing relationship with EA... And um, you know it was within with the realm of possibility that you know if I wanted to get it done I could probably do it and I, I really enjoyed Alpha Centauri so it was possible too but there's just this there's this thematic issue right like it it's not hard to find designers who want to make a game about the history of the world you know pretty much everyone looks at Civ and they kind of have this their own idea of like how they would do it if they were to design it right but with Alpha Centauri it's like I would be imagining things that were part. Of, it feels like I'd be imagining something in Brian's world, and that it's just not. Yeah. It's not an obvious natural thing to brainstorm. You know, um, like maybe well, I would people do, a do that
3: all the time in someone else's universe, um, and it, it happens in movies too, and and in other places. It's just that you get kind of a, uh, you know. You have a, about a 25% chance of getting it right, and all the fans love you, or most of the fans love you, and it and it succeeds, and about a 75% chance of of totally fucking it up. You know, the, like for every Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings we've had, um, you know how many totally just utterly sucky. Follow-ons to someone else's thing have we had? You know, I we, I, I don't I'm not going to go tell you which ones were sucky, but I'm sure you can think of what they were.
1: <laughs> right, uh,
2: right. Well, that's that's even different formats. I think of books. There are all sorts of weird follow-ups to classic books that get oh, written well, by look like no further than Dune.
0: Right. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Kevin yeah. J. Anderson and uh, what's his name, Herbert Dune. Right. Yeah.
2: And you know, they almost never work out. I mean, I can't think of any example where you know something classic has been extended in meaningful um, I mean, you know, it's, it's a sign that it was like, it was a game of the time and it was a game that was, you know, very, you know, emblematic of what the design team cared about at the time. You know? Yeah, it, know. it had
3: a very strong stamp of authorship on it. On, on And then and this, when I say that, I don't mean on the, uh, you know, the yeah, mechanics yeah. of the game. I mean on the theme and the writing and just the, the kind of message of the game. And it would be really, I think it would be really a big challenge. Not impossible, but a really big challenge for somebody else to kind of get inside that. It really is like, you know, Frank Herbert's son trying to pick up Dune after Frank Herbert is dead. And you kind of read them, you're like, well, I'm kind of glad I know how the story came out. But I'm also kind of wish I hadn't read that because, it just, <laughs> you know, it just lowered... Yeah. The now, there, is, there is there is an
2: interesting Civ 4 mod called Planetfall that it tries to take Alpha Centauri and put it into the Civ IV uh, universe. Uh-huh. Uh, that's yeah. Cool. And uh, that's that's fairly popular. And it, and there I mean there have been some some gameplay changes since Alpha Centauri that you know you guys probably would have adopted if you know yeah if, no, no they've been invented so, yet <laughs> yeah exactly
3: <laughs> yes we only had so much time and people to invent things with yeah, yeah. Well, well I mean I to, mean, me, to it's, me it's I mean I think it's just
2: very important to to put Al Centauri in the Civilization timeline. Like, I'm yeah. kind of, I'm kind of just, dis- it's kind of too bad that it's the IP is splintered. Like, I wish, I wish, even if they didn't have anything, even if they didn't have anything, even if they were never going to make Al Centauri 2, I kind of wish Take-Two owned the Alpha Centauri, Uh, IP, just because, like, to me, it is Civ 3, you know, I mean, that's, it's, um, it's absolutely part of uh, the lineage. And, you know, people should always remember that. And I'm afraid maybe 10, 15 years from now,
3: uh, people won't remember that as well. Well, the amount of time I spent trying to not get personally sued for accidentally saying that, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know oh, it's it's man. great. That, it's great that someone you know else could just say that and think that, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. in hindsight, wouldn't it be great if all that stuff? Because it was certainly uh, the the way that it's definitely part of the you know the the Civ timeline is. Well, the people that did the Civ game, you know, and the you know the team changed over the years and. And I think it's always, I think it's hilarious that um, apart from, well, actually, every single one of us that was ever a designer for Civilization, including Sid Meier, did that game and then immediately quit and went to a different company. Like, it it just seemed to, uh, (laughs) you know, and and Sid happened to go to the company where where then I then was and we, we made Alpha Centauri, but... But, you know, whoever was the lead designer for a Civ game, you know, immediately then quits and, and wow. does something I else. Wow, I guess that it is true. Yeah, oh yeah, you, you, you did too. your part in the curse. And even, <laughs> and, uh, and John, you know, what's his name, John, just, you know, he... He up and left. I I didn't even have time to like see if he wanted to come to Zynga. He was just like gone <laughs> to the, <laughs> the, the StarDock guys. I was like, dude, you like left town. You didn't even talk to me. <laughs> well, of course, we knew you were leaving the company because you'd just been the lead designer of a Civ
2: game. <laughs> you know, the other little interesting historical footnote that should be mentioned is, you know, there was all this worry about, you know, not officially naming Alpha Centauri as like part of the Civ franchise. But while Alpha Centauri was being developed, there was another Civ. Pretender being developed that had the Civilization name that oh, had nothing wow. to yeah. do with the the actual IP or the original creators. Uh, I mean, that was just a the, the Activision.
1: time. The yeah. Activision games, yeah, there's a whole, the lawsuit was it's, it's kind of hilarious, because you had the owners of the board game, which Sid said he'd never heard of or played, but still oh, he got no, the no, rights no. to Sid, for the original Sid. Did,
3: well, I think he'd heard of, or at least Bruce had heard of it. Okay. Because right, right, right. Bruce had used to work oh. for Avalon. But see, what yeah. happened is back in the board game days, Avalon Hill had decided, I guess it had licensed some game that some guy in Europe had made to do as a board game. And so, and and Avalon Hill was actually in town here in Baltimore Baltimore, area. And for whatever reason, you know, I think there was a loose, a very loose inspiration, at least on Bruce's part in developing the techs and the tech tree, on that board game, and when they just decided, when they realized, hey, you know, Civilization is kind of the, you know, go think about it, there aren't many good, you know, if you want to make a game to compete right. with Civilization, there aren't actually very many decent words, um, because believe me, I've thought <laughs> about this uh, this issue, uh, and even something like, you know, that, that was, some, you know, whoever put the word um, culture into, uh, into uh, Civilization 3, like, just made me Made me personally gag because I hate that. I think it's a really ugly word, and it, um, you know, it's got all those u's in it. and It just sounds like, uh, you know, some kind of piece of piece of yuck. Uh, I, I always wondered why didn't they just name it civilization? You know, you've got to get your civilization score higher because it's such a cleaner, nicer prettier word but anyway I think at some point they realized gosh this is the only decent word we really want to name this game civilization so they went and licensed it the name from Avalon Hill uh, and this was way back in the dark early day I mean this is in the in 1991 yeah and back then well first of all there wasn't a worldwide market you just basically sold the game in the United States and that was the sales you got. And second of all, nobody in the Microsoft Micropros, sorry, <laughs> hierarchy, um, thought Civilization was going to succeed. Uh, and you know, I suspect that Civ 3 was the first game in the Civilization series that anybody actually thought was going to succeed in the during the period it was being developed. Because I remember the worldwide lifetime forecast for Civ II. Uh, Right before we launched, being thirty-eight thousand units, like that was all they thought wow. we were going to sell. <laughs> well,
1: well, what were the final sales?
3: Oh gosh, it was over two million, um, and I, I don't really know the. You know, I left so soon, relatively after it that I never had very much insider knowledge of. of you know, I don't so I don't know the actual figures, especially not the all-in figures, including the. You know the the expansion pack sales and then the gold pack sales and then the, like, the extra sales of the original you get because you released the expansion, you know, all these things, you know, the attach rate and, and all of that stuff. Uh, I, just, I just never, which I always was sad because um, for a long time, um, it was clearly the biggest hit I'd ever worked on in terms of raw numbers, and I always used to really want to know, you know, well, how high did we get...
2: Uh, <laughs> yeah, I have, I have very similar feelings about CIFOR. I mean, like, I literally have no
3: legal access to that data. Like, it really kind of sucks. So I was you know? happy when Frontierville finally just kind of, you know, wiped that, all, wiped all those numbers out for me. I can say, oh, well, definitively, I was much more successful, uh, you know, in market size and all that stuff with, with, with Frontierville, but... Um,
1: but some of us don't define success that <laughs> <all>. <laughs> well. Put well, that's, and,
3: and that's why you're not in the actual business of designing games for a
1: absolutely. <laughs> that's the that's why I'll never be hired. It's an to art design and games. a
3: business, you know. That's
1: yes, right. I know. And,
3: and if it weren't a, a, a business, it wouldn't be much of an art either. These are, I, I realize, depressing and sad facts.
1: No, no, not at all.
0: But that is the perfect, upbeat note about strategy games and the future of hard start, hardcore strategy games that we'd <laughs> love to end the show on. Uh, <laughs> yes. So we're going so, to wrap yes, this
3: so up. Because uh, otherwise we'd be talking about, you know, what's coming, you know, what's the sequel to
1: Frontierville? Well, it's Oregon, not it's not an Oregon Trail because you changed the name, it's something else.
3: Uh, I think it's Pioneer Trail. Pioneer Trail. Pioneer
1: Trail. That's right. Which I haven't played yet, but I probably should.
0: See, I don't. I think Pioneer Trail's too vague. I think Donner Party has more like brand <laughs> recognition. <laughs> we that's... have a
3: conference room named Donner Party at uh, um here in uh because because you know these days you get to in, in the Silicon Valley culture you get to name all your conference
1: rooms. <laughs> but, but but you never eat in there, right? Yeah. But but <laughs> just to be
3: clear, I, I you know that's another example of a follow-on game. Yeah. Okay. Just like the Alpha Centauri. I mean, so somebody else has. You know, I'm not working on Frontierville these days. Yeah, there's
2: a general issue in social games that it's very murky to try to determine who did what. Um, it'll be interesting how that how that develops over the years.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's different. I mean, and, and and social games part of it is because it doesn't just come out of the uh, uh, the game industry. It, it's also hybrided with the web industry, which has got a very right. different culture and it's a very different way of doing things. In a lot of ways, it is kind of logical. In a way, if you think about it, these games are kind of a website. I mean, and uh-huh. actually, if you think of it literally, they, in fact, literally are a website. Uh, and so, so, of course, there's a lot of elements of them. But anyway, we, we came to talk about Centauri. And-
1: <laughs> we did, and right. I'm so glad you finally came on the show. I've been trying to find a way to get you on for a while and now rob, and oh, my, been, well my, my we, I, well I, I know you and i've uh, sent emails back and forth a couple of times but schedules don't work out and rob my heir, finally succeeded where i had failed
0: yes my sweetest victory uh save all <laughs> so those funds over in rts games yes well well that concludes our discussion of alpha centauri um Although it certainly has a way of working its way into other conversations, oh, and I would not be them. surprised if we find ourselves revisiting again in some capacity. As always, my thanks to my panel and guests for joining me tonight, to our producer Michael Hermes for editing the show, and to you for listening to us. Until next week, say goodbye, everyone. Good night.
3: Bye. Bye again, I love how you switch back into announcer <laughs> news toys at the end.